You ever watch this guy on television? You all were not telling the truth, and you should not be trusted. Congressman Matt Gates, thank you for what you yeah. did for your country tonight. Be offended with the Democratic whip, not House Republicans. Like a machine, Matt Gates. Welcome to Hot Takes. This is Congressman Matt Gates. Let's talk about the news. Last night I appeared on Steve Hilton's show, The Next Revolution. Here are a few highlights from the show. You're right that Bill <laughs> Crystal and John Bolton represent a, a vision of conservatism that would have us invade everywhere and invite everyone. I think that John Bolton has been in favor of 10 out of the last three wars and would probably start four more of them by lunchtime tomorrow if he could. <laughs> he was largely a mascot in the Trump administration used to troll Iran. His advice was never taken, and so he was resentful. Big tech is censoring conservatives. They intend to steal this election from the voters and from Donald Trump, and we should not let them. It's why I'm so disappointed and surprised that recently Nikki Haley came out essentially toting the note for big tech, saying that it would be against the interests of the First Amendment to have enforcement action and regulatory action. Well, to me, that's loser talk. We ought to vindicate the First Amendment rights of all Americans. And the way to do that is to treat them like common carriers, revoke Section 230 of the Communication Decency Act, and then have the Department of Justice bring antitrust actions against Twitter and other technology platforms that are using their market power to try to define the scope of debate in this country. It is absolutely un-American, and we need a response from our government that is stronger than the response that we got from former Ambassador Haley. Russia is back in the news, with the New York Times reporting awareness that Russia had given bounties to Taliban-linked groups to target and kill coalition forces in Afghanistan. And of course, Americans are embedded and working alongside those coalition forces. And a lot of Washington and the media were wrapped up in whether or not the president was not responding forcefully enough to Russia. Let's keep in mind. The Trump administration has been way tougher on Russia than the Obama administration. The Trump administration has expelled diplomats. They have had an energy policy that has put pressure on Russia economically. We have had a geopolitical strategy that hasn't extended America to such an extent that Russia is able to take advantage of our just the breadth of our global presence. And I'm grateful that in some of the deconfliction with Russia, we have been able to functionally exit the Syrian civil war. President Trump's the first president in my lifetime not to start a new war, and with us getting essentially out of the Syrian civil war, the only role play we're playing there currently is to guard the oil field so that the Kurds have the resources to provide for their own defense. If he's able to do that and execute on an America first foreign policy, I think we ought to stand with the president. So this Russia report, is sort of a trip back down memory lane to a world in which a resurgent Russia justifies all of these Cold War tendencies that, that seem to only be good for Washington, right? I mean, Washington does well in a Cold War because it is able to then justify a, a more muscular, a more expensive posture relative to other countries. Cooperation doesn't really pay as much as competition and conflict if you're part of the military industrial complex, if you're part of the overall hawkish uniparty consultantry that seems to be in favor of wars all over the globe. With Russia in this case, let's get to the facts. The Office of the Director of National Intelligence has issued a statement that neither the president nor the vice president were briefed, 
And the president has now responded to this New York Times reporting saying that in the absence of a real understanding that this is an elevated risk, that this is something different or unique in this battle space, it wasn't brought to their attention. I can see why. It is well known, we are all well aware, that Russia is not our friend. They're not this great big bear of a global superpower that they used to be, dealing with a commoditized economy, a, uh, a demographic really tailspin in terms of their population. But Russia does engage in mischief, whether that's interfering with elections all around the world, interfering with military operations around the world. We saw what happened in Aleppo with Russia making a very negative contribution to humanitarian and refugee work around the world. Political work, you know, I mean, they, Russia was essentially behind the storming of the parliament in Macedonia when they were working on more of a West-leaning, European-leading future. So this is what Russia does. They exacerbate our problems. They go into contested areas like Afghanistan and try to cause mischief. Now, does this mean we ought to go to war with Russia? No, it means we ought to get out of Afghanistan. It means we ought to stop putting our troops in harm's way for a war that, according to the, the Afghan papers and the Washington Post report, many in the Obama and Bush administration knew was not winnable. There were not clear objectives in Afghanistan. And so we bring this on ourselves when we entangle ourselves endlessly in these foreign conflicts and then find ourselves presenting an opportunity for some of the most malign actors in the world to do harm and to capitalize on just the fog of war that seems to surround these places that have always seen conflict and war as a part of their national identity. So the answer here isn't to roll over to Russia any more than the answer is to spasm in some inappropriate response to Russia. The answer is to continue to make our country stronger, more resilient. It is to get out of these Middle East adventures that seem to captivate the boomer generation and even some in the kind of Gen X generation of leadership. And let's get on to putting the interests of our people and our nation first. That doesn't mean allowing Afghanistan to become like the cradle of war to ignite some great power conflict with Russia. It means being the best version of ourselves, and it means ending the war in Afghanistan. So far, the death of George Floyd has not changed policing for the better. In fact, it may be changing policing for the worst. Our friend John Solomon at justthenews.com has reporting that in New York City, the NYPD has seen 272 retirement filings since the death of George Floyd. That is up 49% over what we're typically used to seeing during this period of time. So the, there are a lot of folks with years of experience who are not eligible for retirement up into a specific time period in your service, but those folks are getting out. They're leaving, and those could be some of the more positive influences with experience to bring about change. Uh, I think that if there are folks who might push back against an, an overly like warriorized mentality in law enforcement, it might be those who've got the perspective of a wide array of experiences that could contribute to a young officer's development. 
that's not anything unique about policing. I would probably say the same thing about the practice of law or journalism or any other number of professions where over time you develop techniques and perspective that can help younger people professionally develop as well. So 272 of New York's finest have filed their retirement paperwork and it's my expectation that this is going to be a continuing trend in metropolitan areas and around the country. And so you've got problems with retaining your best. We're going to see problems with recruiting people into law enforcement and policing as a consequence of the demonization of police that has been now accepted into pop culture and the mainstream. I sure don't accept it. I love our police. I'm grateful that they're willing to step up and ensure domestic tranquility in our country. But nonetheless, these challenges on hiring and retention will remain, and then even during the service of police officers, I'm deeply concerned that even if no substantive reforms are passed or changed or altered, you're going to see police just far more reticent to get out of that patrol car and help people. And there are times when we need the police to help us, we need them to be there, and that's why we need to support them now. Tisk tisk, Governor Cuomo and Mayor de Blasio. Gary Sharp, a judge for the Northern District in New York, has ruled that both politicians have violated the First Amendment by treating religious gatherings and church services and other worship services worse than they would treat other types of gatherings, and specifically these Black Lives Matter protests. The district judge ruled that because both of these politicians had given authority and permission to the Black Lives Matter gatherings and protests that they could not treat religion worse. And that seems to make sense. The First Amendment standard would seemingly uphold worship services as even more essential because they are expressly contemplated in the First Amendment, the free exercise of religion. And while I think that people ought to be able to gather and protest, no matter what the government thinks of those protests, it certainly is not acceptable to treat religion worse than you would treat any other type of political activity or protest. So Mayor de Blasio and Governor Cuomo getting a rap on the wrist for poor leadership choices in these decisions. And we're hopeful that going forward, this will be a message to mayors and governors all over the country that you cannot treat people of faith worse than you would treat the protesters who would want to go out and speak against our government. We have a right to freely exercise our religion in this country, and it's great to see that right vindicated. By now you know that corporate America and much of the political leadership in our country has caved to this Black Lives Matter movement. I, I don't think I can open up Twitter or any other element of digital media without seeing some new announcement that some new corporation has given millions of dollars to Black Lives Matter. So who are they and what do they believe? Are they a police reform movement? Are they a racial justice movement? Actually, they're a neo-Marxist movement, explicitly. If you look at the three founders of Black Lives Matter, those who have now benefited from millions and millions of dollars being donated out of the white guilt of some of these people who just, I think, want to appear sufficiently woke, you find that they are quite Marxist. Actually, Alicia Garza, one of the three founders of the Black Lives Matter organization, 
has repeatedly talked about how a convicted cop killer and wanted domestic terrorist Asada Shakur is one of her main inspirations. Now there's another group you're going to learn about and there's going to be, I know there's some major reporting coming out about this, but it's the Thousand Currents group. Thousand Currents is essentially a money-washing organization for Black Lives Matter and a distribution channel for cash uh, in and out of the Black Lives Matter movement. On the board of the Thousand Currents group is a woman named Susan Rosenberg. Now, she was listed as one of the board of directors for Thousand Currents that was pulled down as a consequence of the research that exposed her as a member of a radical leftist revolutionary militant group known as the May 19th Communist Organization, uh, which was affiliated with Weather Underground, another terrorist group of radicals. So as you start to see the branding of Black Lives Matter, just make sure you pay special attention to who these people are. And the best reporting I've seen on this uh, that we're citing in the story, uh, Jerry Dunleavy with the Washington Examiner, he had a great piece that we'll throw up on social media so that people can be informed. And maybe if the corporations where we purchase goods and services continue to fund the organizations that are trying to tear down our country, make our streets less safe, make it where you can't even go outside to go to dinner without the concern that your physical security or that of your family will, will be in jeopardy, uh, then maybe we ought to take that into account during the purchasing decisions we make. Uh, I believe that Black Lives Matter is not about police, it's not about race, it's not about justice. It's about making us hate America so that they can replace America. Because as long as we love her, we will not allow someone to replace her. So they're trying to make us think that the nation, its founding, and its organizing principles are racist and thus worthy of replacement. They don't want you to think that America is racist as an end unto itself. They want to use that as some catalyst to undermine and overthrow the institutions of our country that, that have created the most opportunity and prosperity in all of human history. That's why America now needs her patriots to stand up in her defense stronger than ever. The mainstream media did not give this enough attention, but the president last week signed a very important executive order to modernize and reshape the federal workforce in a way that really respects people's skills over maybe just the educational institutions that they've attended. Uh, I totally support the decision to go to skills-based hiring rather than degree-based hiring. We're learning more and more in America that higher education is a sham. It's a shakedown routine where we have drained the financial security of an entire generation of young Americans to accrue this long-term debt for degrees that in many cases are largely worthless. And we sold everyone the bill of goods that if you play by the rules, if you accrue this debt, if you get these degrees, that they will define what you can do and what you know. The reality is far different. In my congressional office, I have full-time employees who have no college degree. Uh, and they are phenomenal contributors to our team, not based on what other people say about them or where they may have attended for a portion of their, of their time on earth, but what they can do. And I think if you look at modern hiring today, the private sector is already there. You know, they're worried about your industry certifications. 
They're worried about your aptitudes and skill sets far more than whether or not your degree is dripping with ivory, or even if you have one at all. And so bringing the federal government into a system that respects that skills-based learning is critically important. Here's the president talking about the executive order. To further expand opportunity, I'm taking a bold action to reform the federal workforce today. I'll sign an executive order that directs the federal government to replace outdated and uh, really outdated, it's called degree-based hiring with skill-based hiring. So we want it based on skill. The federal government will no longer be narrowly focused on where you went to school, uh, but the skills and the talents that you bring to the job. So hooray to America's workers. And let's do all we can to get this economy back up and running and aligned with the needs of our people. You can't always get what you want. That appears to be what the Rolling Stones are telling President Trump. Some controversy arising over whether the president can use that great music from the Stones at his Make America Great Again rallies. I'll always remember, gosh, I think it was 2018, I was backstage with the president as we were uh, getting ready to rally uh, in Pensacola, Florida. And the Rolling Stones music came on and the president turned to me with that very distinct, determined resolve. And he said, the Stones, only Trump gets the Stones. So I don't know. I think there might be something more to this. I think that the president is uh, quite, quite likely to be operating under some permission from some member of the group or someone who owns an element of this music. But I guess it'll be resolved and uh, we'll determine if uh, we get to continue to hear that great Rolling Stone music at, at our MAGA rallies. And if anyone says, oh, well, we shouldn't you know, be listening to music of people that aren't conservatives or Republicans, I have a very simple policy on this. I like living in a world where the left makes my art and music and the right makes my laws. And that is the way to preserve great enjoyability and also great structure and great order and great society. So let's hope we can keep hearing that great music. Thanks for listening. This has been Congressman Matt Gates. Be sure to leave us a five-star review and a comment or a suggestion or even a criticism. I love your hot takes and I hope you'll be back tomorrow for mine. <laughs> <laughs>